We have a new show at Turpentine that's been in the works for a long time, Company Breakdowns. We dive into S1s and Series B and beyond companies, interviewing founders and investors to break down the companies. First episode is on Rubrik, which IPO'd this week. Upcoming episodes cover Reddit, Databricks, and more. Subscribe at the link in the description or search for Company Breakdowns on YouTube or in the podcast platform of your choice. I was asking myself this question. I was staying in kind of a nice part of Tel Aviv that, you know, had like fancy wine stores, yoga studios, people walking around in Lululemon. I mean, the full liberal catastrophe, right? Like the whole picture. You, you could squint and I mean, the architecture would be different, but it could be Marin or the West Village or the Mission District or whatever, right? Like literally Israel, like you put a gun to your average Westerner's head and say, your children must grow up in Gaza City or Tel Aviv. And there's only going to be one answer, right? And the reality is that Israel is the only country anybody in the West would ever deign to live in ever in their entire lives. That is just the reality of it. So that raises the paradox. How can it be that literally the only place that Westerners would actually be willing to live, they're actually against? What's the psychoanalysis of these people? Is it like, uh, you mentioned narcissism. Is it like cluster B? Is there? Is it like, I hate my father? Or like, it's older than, two, you know, just sort of like 2000s wokeism, right? Like it goes back pretty, like, what is, is, is there a psychological a psychoanalysis here? Or it's just, it's just bad ideas. It's the organizing moral principle of the left. That's the left, right? The left is oppressor press and the right is civilization versus barbarism. Those, those, are the, those are the relevant sort of dualities. It's communism and it's the fashionable intelligentsia comfort of the intellectual salon version of communism, not the applied reality of communism where they line people up and shoot them and dump them in ditches. Which so. is what in the end, it's all sublimated, secularized Christianity. Where's my Tom yes. Holland? God damn it. It's back here somewhere. Yeah. Um, I, th I think it's a way for young people to sound smart and morally righteous. Yes. You know, Virtue signaling, of course. Yeah, I guess right? It's about having sex. I wanted to get into something that we, we didn't cover in the last two episodes. I was re-listening to it. You know, some, some people say that if Trump were in office, this whole thing wouldn't have happened what what's what's that argument and are you sympathetic to that argument here let me let me make the for and against case the against case is hamas would have done this anyways and if yep. you're like really a serious case of tds you live in this world where you think trump's foreign policy was bad despite the abraham accords which are on pause right now but i'm optimistic that they'll pick back up because i don't actually think mbs cares about the this is the saudi arabia israel alliance right well, alliances, just how about just recognize, right? So history, <laughs> all the Arab countries headed Israel. Egypt was the first to, after after the Yom Kippur in 73, I think it was like late 70s, Israel recognized, or Egypt recognized Israel, and that was a peace, peace deal, partially because the United States was paying off Egypt, right? And um, I think I mentioned in the chat, like I listened to that book a few of our friends recommended, uh, Dennis Ross who was the former envoy. Uh, I don't know if he was the actual ambassador, but I think he, he, he was a senior person in the State Department who in both the, uh, I think, Bush senior administration or maybe even, uh, you know, Bush junior and Obama for Israel. So he, he he's worked for both sides of the aisle on this issue. And after he retired, he wrote a book on the history of American uh, presidential administrations on you just each chapter is, okay, how did Truman deal with Israel? How did uh, you know, Eisenhower, et cetera. And one, one thing I found interesting with the book that I, I, I hadn't had as much depth on is um, just how big of a player Egypt was during the Cold War relative to the other Arab countries, specifically because Egypt had 
leader, president, dictator, whatever you want to call him, uh, Nasser, who was willing to stand up to the West. Um, and, and he's a pan pan Arab nationalist. Um, he actually, at one point was kind of crazy, weird quirk of history. Syria kicked out their ruling, you know, family or monarch or whatever. And, and then they said, well, we want Egypt to run us, which kind of doesn't make a ton of sense given that they're not close. You know, Israel's on the other side. Um, so I think it was called the United Arab Republic. It didn't last very long. But but long story short there, um, Egypt is the first to kind of, after losing a few wars to Israel, um, they kind of say, hey, okay, we're going we're gonna to have peace with you guys. And we're happy to take USAID. And, and Egypt today still, I think, is one of the largest recipients of like direct USAID, um, just because it's, 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 you know, 100 million people. And it's, it's a, a Sunni country that is not the Saudis, right? But they don't have oil. The significance of the Abraham Accords is this is the second major recognition of Israel by countries that are not like, you know, who, who cares about Lebanon and Syria at this point? Both are effectively failed states. The Saudis say what you want about them, but they're extremely wealthy, extremely influential in the region because they, they make a ton of money off of oil. And as well as the, uh, you know, the Emiratis, UAE, Qatar. So that whole area, uh, the Abraham Accords, specifically, I think with the Emiratis and, and the Saudis, uh, Kushner was able to kind of broker a, a deal, basically. And... Um, Partially because MBS, who is not officially the the head of state, his father, who's who's senile, is still the king, but MBS is running the show. But I think in the same way that it's like everyone was kind of surprised Biden, like kind of had like a pro-Israel stance. It's like there's still something going on in there. I think the same thing is happening in Saudi where they still live in this. Oh, if Israel is, a, you know, having any type of aggression towards the you know Gaza or the West Bank the standard line for the Saudis is like, Hey, like we're against that. Like we're pro-Palestinian, but two weeks before or the 10, seven, that, that was not a major issue. Like the Palestinian issue, like there were a bunch of articles in the New York times about this and, and, and wall street journal, how the Palestinians like basically had no leverage in this. And the, the Saudis were, were actually happy to recognize. Um, so that is like the actual thing that most people cite is like, okay, this is why the timing of that happened. And then you have to make the uh, assumption of was Hamas doing this independently, uh, which I think you've seen a, a variety of different reports come out. Uh, the, the, the official line for the, the U.S. is that Iran did not do this, but there have been leaked stories to the Wall Street Journal or whatever is that if the fighters went to Iran, uh, I mean, all in covered this, right? David Sachs thinks that like the Wall Street Journal is trying to draw up a war and all this kind of stuff. So, um, but go but go back to Trump. So, Trump's foreign policy with Iran was the reverse of Obama, who had tried to do this nuclear deal. And then he goes and he has a drone strike Soleimani when he was in Iraq, when he wasn't supposed to be. And so arguably, and then Iran really didn't do anything back. Okay. So if you take the frame, and, and this is a good point for Antonio to jump in, is that if you believe the Middle East is actually much more in the frame of like traditional history where strength is valued, not like the kind of global liberal world order of, of, you know, the Anglosphere, then Trump getting rid of Soleimani kind of said like, Iran, don't stick your finger in anything. Like this is, I, I'm going to, I'm going to come back and I'm going to hit you 10 X harder. Right. Um, whereas Biden was giving $6 billion or unfreezing money that was going to go for humanitarian aid, despite the fact that 
if you get $6 billion over here, you can go spend $6 billion somewhere else. That's the side. I, I think it's it's not productive to be like, oh, would this have happened with Trump? But I But I think what is interesting is Basically, the Biden administration now is in a in a place where they have their caught with their pants down, right? Like, and the we're on the inspiring that uh, was really timely when we did that, um, uh, you know, podcast with Jacob, and, and he was bringing that up. I didn't even know about that. But it's, it's the Biden administration is pretty compromised on Iran in terms of just their policy. I mean, it's a continuation of a failed policy with from Obama, and and now they're having to kind of do a big one eighty, and and like the reveal preference for uh the US is and I just posted in the chat is they just uh kind of uh had an Ohio class nuclear sub just like surface that doesn't happen like uh, you just look up online like usually they keep those things pretty quiet but it's it's a it's a flex to say like Iran don't get involved here and and I mean like th they are involved because I don't know if you guys have been following the like open source intel the the northern front is is a is a total battle, battle zone, right? Like you follow any of this stuff, it's like the Gaza stuff is all about the Israelis slowly doing this boa constrictor, but like the northern part of Israel is under constant rocket fire, rocket fire from Lebanon, from Hezbollah, and then rocket fire from Iranian militias in in Syria. It's just like, and it's like every time the IDF announces that it's like we, we someone they shot a rocket in and then we just did a bunch of airstrikes. Um, so I and, and then you have the Houthis are are shooting in in Yemen they're shooting these long range ballistic cruise missiles. Like, and, and then all, not to mention the fact that we've had like 40 attacks on us military personnel bases. Hey, why do we still have those bases there? I thought we were out of these places. And then more importantly, like we're like tweeting at them being like, don't do this again. And it's like, okay, so what on the 42nd time you, you have a rocket attack on, on us military personnel, then you do some type of a strike. So I, I'm just very confused on, on how the Biden administration is like, approaching this but at the same point i don't actually think the israelis care because like they're they're executing their plan yeah i mean one thing in israel is that the the northern side is actually arguably as hotter hotter than the, the south than the southern side there is um there's this whole town of twenty thousand called kiryat shimona that they actually evacuated so they evacuated an entire town one story that isn't getting told there's a huge number of internal refugees inside israel of people who either obviously abandoned the the, the kibbutzes that, that all got attacked and that are now in the middle of a war zone, or the northern part that is subject to rocket fire from the north, um, and actually has more rockets pointed at it than uh, the parts in the south. Um, yeah. Hey, everybody. <laughs> hey, did you finish your piece for Tablet? You know, it's I, I did. I'm waiting back for edits from Alana of Tablet, and it's unsurprising if you guys are part of the uh, Tablet mailing list, which everyone should be. They're, like, putting out one or two pieces on Israel like a day now. <laughs> so there's, like, a pipeline then i was super late on it so um we'll see if it comes out but there's a lot of uh interesting on the ground stuff in there um you know the whole vibe of what it was like there which i think we, we, we talked we did a show when i was there and then also <clears throat> looking at this like 45 minute video that uh the israelis put out with like all the captured hamas footage which is even worse than the public stuff that they just i was they started showing it to journalists when i was there and now they're trying to show it to everybody and so i was trying to actually coordinate if Eric, you know anybody who was willing to put a, put on a screening of this somewhere in San Francisco? They're trying to get it out to uh, Silicon Valley, so I'm trying to facilitate, facilitate that as well. 
Um, so, I mean, that Telegram chat that you suggested, and I think there are like maybe a, and a couple of them, I mean, crazy. Like the, the stuff in the, coming from these big Telegram chats, this is the first time, I, I never really got into the Ukraine uh, one, but obviously that makes sense given how big it is in, in Russian speaking world. Um, but uh, the, I, I'm in a couple of these Telegram chats that are just putting the raw footage that's coming out of Gaza mm -hmm. and then um, any of the stuff that's happening in the North. And it, I, I feel like it's actually like, a, I want to discount all of it because I, I have no idea like who's post posting what. But relative to Twitter, it's like much more um, availability and and kind of like more constant updates. It's it's yeah. weird. I mean, you're you're right that one should be a little dubious because some of it is faked. But it's funny some of the fakes. I mean, as a comment on the conflicts, a lot of the fakes are actually from other conflicts that the world has ignored. The Syrian civil war, for example, that killed way more civilians than ten Israel's would in a century, um, but that no one actually gives a damn about because no Jews, no news. Uh, but it's funny that they're trying to fake it and frame Israel for the atrocities that have been happening for years now that nobody's paid attention to. But it's interesting. You can, if you look in the background, you'll spot certain things and realize that like things are off either in the uniforms or the foliage or something. It's like, that's not Gaza. But um, yeah. yeah. Hey, we'll continue our interview in a moment after a word from our sponsors. If you don't already subscribe to Turpentine's industry-leading newsletters, like our new daily AI newsletter, Emergent Behavior, or Media Empires, you should. But that's not what I'm here to tell you about. The platform we use to power these newsletters is called Beehive, and it's excellent. First of all, it was started by the same early team who helped build Morning Brew into a $75 million newsletter business. And they built Beehive to offer that same powerful functionality to anyone sending emails. From essayists to business owners, the platform is beautiful, their text editor is intuitive, and they help you scale your audience with custom growth features. Beehive has powerful tools to help you monetize your content. You can easily launch paid subscriptions or pursue an advertising model. The Beehive platform will even connect you to premium brands to sponsor your newsletter. Not only do we use them, but thousands of the top newsletters in the world also use them, like Milk Road, Blockworks, The Lindy Newsletter, and so many more. Beehive's founder hooked up Moment of Zen listeners with a sweet deal. Get 20% off for three months with code MOZ. Visit beehive.com, that's B-E-E-H-I-I-V.com to get started. Just because it's good to good for podcasts to have some some uh, differences of opinion, you know, we have David Sachs being consist consistent and saying, hey, uh, you know, U.S. Should, should not have been super involved in Ukraine, should not be super involved here. We have Antonio being, uh, you know, consistent himself, having visited both Ukraine and, and Israel and believing that, you know, U.S. should support th those efforts. And and um, Dan, I'm not saying you're inconsistent, but you're it seems more sympathetic to U.S. being more involved in Israel in terms of us having more strategic interests there than than in Ukraine. I don't want to you know botch your your position, but what, why don't you share your your thoughts? Well, let's let's. I mean, there's facts and circumstances here. So uh, Ukraine, not a traditional U.S. ally. Okay, <laughs> traditionally part of of the Soviet Union, um, not not part of NATO. Like we don't have any formal alliances. Um, the adversary is Russia, who has the largest stockpile of nuclear weapons still, even though they might be a shell of their former self. I think in the case of Israel, you have a small country surrounded by hostile, maybe not effective countries at this point. Um, and you, you have a group of people that had a, you know, six million, I don't even know, is it six, six and a half million people killed during World War II. And for better or for worse, the US policy is that we are going to support Israel like that. That is a difference 
of foreign policy that we've been pretty consistent on. It, it wasn't always the case, but it got more and more consistent to the point where it's like we, we Israel is our ally. And I think the third thing, which I think I, I think the most dangerous foreign policy issue is Iran, because I think a world where Iran has a has a nuke um, is a is a much more dangerous one and one that you could see two million people in Tel Aviv die because of something blowing up. Uh, you know, I don't even think it would be a missile. I think they just smuggle it in. But I think that is an existential um, thing for Israel. And I think, frankly, I don't I, just based on how Iran supports these kind of um, terrorist groups, you know, Hamas, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, Hezbollah, the Houthis, like all of these people, like we, we, we should not allow Iran to get to that nuclear capability. And I don't think we have the willingness, nor do I want to put boots on the ground there. But if Israel is willing to do the dirty work, which I think that they've done over the last couple of decades in terms of at least slowing that program down, then I think that that's a, if just like from a pure real politic, that that's a good ally to have, right? Like secu the only secular democracy in the Middle East. Um, let, 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 let's, let's support that one. And, and if they're going to be willing to like help contain a um, potentially very dangerous country, I think that that's, that's useful. And it's not to say they don't care about Ukraine as much as I, I think it's like, I am of the opinion we, we shouldn't be getting more involved if to the degree that NATO is supporting it like it is. And, and if you can get it to some version of a ceasefire then, or, or peace, uh, then I'm, I'm more fine. But I, I just, I basically, I care less about Ukraine than I do about Israel. I mean, I do too, to be honest. I was more willing to get, uh, you know, blown up in a rocket attack in Israel than was in Ukraine, just because it seems like I was a little, had a little more skin in the game, so to speak. Wasn't really, yes. really willing to die for Ukraine, but, you know, Israel's a little <laughs> bit more, has a little yeah. more, uh, more stuff to it. Personal. Um, yeah. I mean, I can just go on a total rip of my piece for Tabify. There's like four or five different talking points, Eric, that we can go at if you Please. want to. But let's let's do it. It might Jump it up. might be it might be getting perilously close to cancellation. Even though Alana, who's read the first draft, says it's not going to get me canceled, but she always says that. That's what we're here for. <laughs> Jump in. We're, didn't you already get canceled? <laughs> I, I don't know, man. Cat has only so many cancellation lives. Although I will say, I have to say, I was I was laughing. I was laughing uh, this week because Apple announced that they had yet another Slack mob. This is like the end of um, of uh, the Hunt for Red October when like the Russians claim to lose another sub, right? And like the joke is what, you lost another sub, right? It's like, wait a second, Apple, you're like dealing with another Slack rebellion. In this case, uh, people posting verses of the Quran, I guess the you know Jews at Apple and Muslims at Apple groups did not get along, simmering border feuds. <laughs> One can only imagine. I would love to see screenshots of all this, by the way. But in any case, apparently they had to shut down Slack mobs over the Israel thing, which uh, I have to say tickles me to no end. But <laughs> Amazing. Uh, yeah, jump in. Let's walk through the piece. Some of the main points. Oh. Well, I mean, some of the observations in the piece, other than like what is the on-the-ground look and feel of what it's like being in southern Israel, which I think we covered last time. I think we did it right after I'd come back from yep. south Israel. Um, you know, it's, it's, I think it's interesting – you know, like I've often said, like everything in the U.S., every foreign policy issue is played as like a as a as a stage for like a domestic policy issue in the United States, which is partially true. Well, so it's one one meta comment on this. What's interesting is that unlike usually you have like the elite establishment lining up on one side of an issue and like that's it. 
that is the dispositive thing. And everyone else is some bizarre, you know, dissident refusenik living on social summers dot outside, you know, the realm of the nice brunch appointments and play dates and Ivy League, whatever. Right. In this case, it's like it's kind of gone both ways. Right. You've got Jews who've like revolted, even Jews who've actually, you know, been big donors at Ivy League universities, which arguably are the woke madrasas or whatever, or certainly have fomented a certain politics that now have turned on on the Jews were, you know, they were willing to be hated as like white males, but they weren't willing to be hated as Jews, right? <laughs> so they kind of put their foot down, but it's kind of like, you know, the, the leopard eating faces viral tweet. It's like, well, what did you think? <laughs> what did you think would happen, right? Um, if you fomented this. So it's intriguing to see the world's divided. And then in the, in the Paul Graham case, right? Like he treated this thing, which is the kind of casualties in which A, he believed Hamas's numbers, which are very dubious. And then two, he kind of undercounted, obviously the Israeli casualties. Um, and and said and I said nothing about the Israeli hostages or all the rest of it, um, which has caused some people to actually accuse him of anti-Semitism, which I think is a lot less likely. Let's recall he put a Jew in charge of YC after he left. Um, I think it's more just he's your standard issue '90s era liberal, uh, you know, Clinton, Obama, etc. And his views are like a little fossil encased in amber. Of well, that's just everyone kind of bought the whole Palestinian as the victim hook line and sinker line in the '90s, right? And he's just kind of kept on with that. And, you know, images of, you know, beheaded children and raped women, notwithstanding, they're going to kind of go with it. And that's the way they view the world. So um, that's my take on it. I don't know. Dan probably has a different take or maybe Eric. No, I, I think the mob mentality to try to, like, cancel Paul Graham is, like, kind of stupid. Um, you know, easy, easy for me to say, right? Like, I, I'm not Israeli and I didn't have anyone die. So I probably would be feeling differently. But um, I, I think what I was disappointed but you know whatever is he he doubled down on the stats like as in like oh this is reliable reporting and i mean anyone who has any amount of like media savvy in terms of the, the current environment the hospital right like the one that the new york times took the hamas line you know hook line and sinker and said 500 people dead as a israeli airstrike front page and you had protests in in multiple arab countries i think there was like a historic synagogue in in tunisia that got destroyed because people felt like, you know, that this had happened. It's completely fabricated. And it came out later. Not only did the, you know, Israelis and then the U.S. intelligence say it didn't. I think it was like we someone put it in the chat. It was like some U.N. thing or it, it's just like now it's just like um, we were able to inspect the hospital grounds. It was the parking lot. It probably was a rocket from Palestinian Islamic Jihad and there were no no one dead. So from 500 dead to zero. So any number that you're seeing coming out from the Palestinians um, and, and you don't even have like say, any number that the Israelis are putting out, discount that. But the, the, the just like straight line reporting like, oh, the, this many people have, have died when this is the, the basically the, the health ministry is run by Hamas and Hamas is using ambulances to move around their senior people in violation of, you know, anyone who wants to talk about international law or the UN Declaration of Human Rights. Uh, last time I checked, if you use an ambulance, um, basically to make it a, a military target, which could then hurt civilians, that's not good. Building your tunnels underneath uh, hospitals, schools, mosques. Also, is it, so you're, it's, it's an impossible moral game because it's so easy to just say, look at, look at these innocent people who are dying. Yes, that sucks. It, it, it is a tragedy. However, the what 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 is the the recourse? How do you get rid of Hamas? Because otherwise they are going to continue to shoot rockets and they're going to continue to 
have a, a you know major atrocity that they'll they will try to commit at any point that they can. And so I, I think it's like th- this is this is the harsh reality of uh, of a war and, and a war that is re- removing a genocidal terrorist organization. Um, we would do the exact same thing if the cartels had perpetrated something at the similar scale cross border from California to to Texas. And you had all these we, we, we would have invaded Mexico in two weeks. And, and, and you know, like I, I think like people people want to pretend that there's like some referee or some other recourse that you can solve these problems. It's like you can't like if, if the other side is a genocidal terrorist organization, the only way you can remove them is is extermination. And, and if there is collateral damage as a result of that, I, I mean, I think the Israelis are trying to do everything they can, right? They have this humanitarian corridor that they keep opening up. They spent multiple weeks telling people to get south of, of basically the halfway point in Gaza. And, and then you have these these pieces of, uh, you know, media that come out. And again, I don't know how to verify it or not, but it it's like uh, pals, uh, Hamas is, is shooting people who are, are going down the, the street. And again, I, I actually don't know if that that is true, but every indication seems like that that Hamas wants these people there because one, the civilian shield prevents Israel from really hitting them as hard as they can. And then the second thing is that every time you do have civilians die, actually die, um, you, they lose a little bit more credibility with the West. But then the question at this point is, does Israel even care about the West? Like, are they just going to say, you know what, this is existential for us. We, we have a sophisticated tech and weapons industry at this point are, uh, you know, kind of neighboring countries that used to be existential in terms of, um, you know, a threat are all basically failed states. And so at this point, we can survive on our own and we'll cut our own deal with Russia or China or someone else who's a little bit more real politic and, and less susceptible to whatever woke mind virus is that that would believe Hamas propaganda without even wanting to do a little bit of diligence. Yeah, I mean, and, that, and we saw that happen with Syria, right? Americans drew a line in the sand. They didn't respect it. And so Israel started dealing directly with Russia. You're talking about crazy settler friends who live on hilltops. They're like, yeah, well, fuck the U.S. We'll just deal with Russia and China. Why do we need them? And so, like, there's definitely a vibe there where it's kind of optional. And, and even those who are kind of on the secular Israeli left, one point in the article that I make, like, part of the reason why Israelis are so bad at PR, right, and, like, the media cycle has kind of gotten away from them, by and large, is that they don't realize how weird they are as a as a people and how weird they might seem to Western elites now. So, you know, one thing, Naftali Bennett, the former PM, he tweeted this thing where, I mean, it's very heartwarming to be clear, but trying to look at it as like, you know, um, a Western bug man, so to speak, right? It's like a couple getting married under wartime conditions in uniform with a man toting a rifle surrounded by their wartime colleagues going off to war, right? Or another one where there's a famous, these are like the viral videos that went viral shortly after the attacks. It's like a father was missing their son's bar mitzvah. And so the the unit had the bar mitzvah at, at the army base. And so here you have a kid, you know, a male undergoing a rite of initiation. They're all singing, you know, various nationalistic songs. They're, the kid is actually carrying a Torah, right? They're all in uniform. It's like, how do you explain this at an ethnic studies seminar at Yale exactly? Like, how, how, do you, how do you quite sugarcoat this and explain this to your like, you know, your sort of basic bitch Ivy League midwit, right? Like, how do you kind of, how do you kind of get this across the finish line to them? And then the answer is you don't. And the reality is even secular Israelis don't realize they're living inside like a religious ethno state and that that'll never be acceptable to Western secular liberal eyes. Like it's just never going to go down. Right. And no matter what they do, it's always going to be off in left field somewhere. And no, like, 
and, and that's the problem, right? And, you know, I have a line in there somewhere where like, Israel's an outcast among nations for the same reason the Jew is an outcast among European peoples, which is this stubborn, stubborn adherence to their peoplehood and their traditions, and a stubborn refusal to undertake the sort of universalist crusade of the gospels and all the, all the secular descendants of that wokeness, whatever, right? Like they sort of reject, they sort of reject the universalist crusade of like, oh yeah, let's, let's expand liberalism and democracy throughout the Middle East, right? Because at the end of the day, they have to pay the consequences, right? And that's, that's the problem, right? The West lives in this sort of showy hypocrisy, right? People say diversity and then they pay for private school for their kids, right? They post defund the police and then they avoid the wave of violence that results of that because they're living in posh neighborhoods, right? And the Israelis are on the other side of that. People will say, whatever, justice for Palestine, but like they actually have to live in that neighborhood, right? And so they have to face like the real outcomes of those policy decisions, which are nobody in London or New York actually has to face. And that's, that's kind of the, that's, that's the core of the problem. Well, the irony is that the uh, the Muslims also reject sort of the modern liberalism. Of course they do. Of course they do. They totally <laughs> reject it. I was in a whole fight with what's his name, Shadi, the guy who writes. You know, every American newspaper has like you know the Muslim guy who writes like the Muslim take on things, right? And like he's their and he's their guy, right? And it's like, have you looked at Palestinian polls? And he had. There's a, there's actually a Palestinian research institute in Ramallah who's done basically the only polls of any scale, and they seem fairly serious about. Well, do you agree with the rocket attack campaign in Israel? And, you know, 80 some odd percent of Gaza does. Right? <laughs> and it's funny because he was citing the exact same study. It's like, OK, so we agree, Shadi. Like, it is the case that by and large, Palestinians, it's not just like Hamas, a tiny minority. It is the case that more mostly everyone agrees with it. But he's like, he just refuses to accept the implications of that. Right. And this and this is the problem of the modern liberal or like Noah Smith saying if you know, Gaza had $10,000 per GDP per capita, then they would all just sit there and start He's white commander startups, right, instead of trying to, you know, wipe Israel off the map. And it's like, these liberals just don't understand, like, why don't they want to be like us, right? The reality is, if you actually have democracy in the Middle East, what you actually do is you elect populists and religious extremists, like the Muslim Brotherhood in, in Egypt, you don't actually get the sort of people that the West likes to shake hands with. In fact, the the sort of people that West likes to shake hands with are typically kept in power by the West, right? So the Palestinian Authority in the West Bank is basically a puppet regime that's kind of supported by Israel because the alternative is worse. Because if you actually had elections, it would be a Hamas-style government that would take over in the West Bank, right? So like all these liberal Democrats are stuck in this quandary of like, oh, they need more democracy, but you give them democracy and you got a government that's loathsome and oh, you can't explain it because because then you'd, you'd be forced to ask questions. Oh, why is it that popular sentiment in Gaza is very different than Israel? It raises questions nobody wants to talk about or answer, and that's the problem, right? And so the conversation kind of gets stuck there. Lebanon, Hezbollah is a political party. Yeah. Like it's, it's like, you know, they've got th tens of thousands of rockets pointed at Israel. They're in a war that no one is really talking about because every, everyone's focus is on the Palestinians. That would be like the equivalent of the Republicans. Like, you know, everyone LARPs about January 6th. Like, oh, this is a Republican takeover. It's like, no, no, no. In, in, in Lebanon, Hezbollah is the dominant political party in control. And they have a military and, and their own set of weapons that the Iranians have provided them. Like this is there is no frame. I mean, the closest is is Mexico with the, the cartels and they're smart enough to not mess with the U.S. They'll send the fentanyl across the border. But the violence usually stays across in, in the Mexican side of things because they know that they don't want, you know, the actual retaliation. Um, but in the case of Israel, somehow when when their sovereignty, uh, you know, rockets are shot into their country, any response is considered a, you know, humanitarian, you know, and, and all this terrible language. And, and it just it's, it's all oppress oppressor. Right. And somehow 
the Jews who, if you go back to a Jew in, in New York in 1920 and say, hey, guess what? hundred years from now, you're going to be considered white. They wouldn't believe you. Like, it's, it's, it, you know, like they were the other. And, and so now because of the success and, and they, you use this oppressor oppressed, uh, you know, ideology that it's just, it's so crazy. It's, this is a country that has to fight for its own existence because it has genocidal terrorist organizations that will try to wipe it off the map. In addition to a big country in Iran. So like, Hey, we'll continue our interview in a moment after a word from our sponsors. I, the other, the other, going back to these kind of like midwit, you know, Ivy League educated types. I've, had, I've been to a couple of dinners over the last couple of weeks, and the topic inevitably comes up. And I, and I try to kind of hold back a little bit because no one <laughs> wants to be lectured. But there, there's like no baseline of history. They, they, they're, 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 you couldn't tell you what happened in '48 or '67 or '73. Like none of it. Like they, they, they have no baseline. They don't know. Uh, what happened in it with the Camp Let's David Accords? Read the, this is, guy if you want. You want to know at least a basic history of Israel, <laughs> right? But like they, they don't. They don't pages, but. but you know the the assassination of the Israeli PM in the nineties. Like they don't have any of this context, no. right? And and so now, I'm not even like being like, okay, can you like really get into the nitty gritty of like what's actually happening in the West Bank or Gaza? But but so then it's like they they just get to have a mood affiliation opinion which is beamed down by some communist professor who basically is like, you know, oppressed should be supported. And, and, and it, it has no, no basis in like, let's do some moral reasoning here. Like which, which, which group, if given the button to kill 2 million of people on the other side in one instant would use it because Israel has that button. They have nuclear weapons. They don't use them. If Hamas had a nuclear weapon, do you think they would use it? It, it, oh, in a second, just, they'd live stream the fucking thing and be cheering about it. Of course they would. <laughs> yep. You know, it's interesting going back to well, you would think that a group that cares so much about liberal values would support Israel because Israel is more liberal than Hamas, even though they're not as liberal as, as they should be. But the oppressor oppressed just, uh, you know, overrules even sort of the support for for gay people for for queers for Palestine they're not queers for Israel even though Israel would be more supportive towards gay people just because it, it turns out Tel Aviv has a gay pride parade Gaza City does not apparently yes. yeah they throw you <laughs> off a roof in Gaza in, in Gaza if you're if you do the gay pride parade they throw you off a roof <laughs> they had to come out I think and say like we don't support the we don't take the support from queers for Palestine and then there were people being like, what this person of color meant when he said that was, you know, <laughs> just kind of like whitewashing it. But the, what, 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 no, what, it's, it's, it's the kill the boar. It's, it's, when, it's when a radical left or, or actual terrorist organization says what they mean. The, the left are, is, is a, does all this gymnastics to kind of be like, oh, this is a metaphor. It, you know, from the river to the sea <laughs> doesn't actually yes. mean exterminating all is right, even means, though they're there. So like, how, yeah. how, how does that practically happen? But, but, you know, someone on the right says something and it's just like words are violence, like January 6th, like all these I'll people need so. to, to go. Right. It's like tr basically part of the case against Trump is just words like tweets. Like it's, 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 it's insane. Yeah. Well, but what the, the problem is, the real problem is like, I was asking myself this question. I was staying in kind of a nice part of Tel Aviv that, you know, had like 
fancy wine stores, yoga studios, people walking around in Lululemon. I mean, the full liberal catastrophe, right? Like the whole picture. You, you could squint and, I mean, the architecture would be different, but it could be Marin or the West Village or the Mission District or whatever, right? Like literally Israel, like you put a gun to your average Westerner's head and say, your children must grow up in Gaza City or Tel Aviv. And there's only going to be one answer, right? And the reality is that Israel is the only country anybody in the West would ever deign to live in, ever, in their entire lives. That is just the reality of it. So that raises the paradox. How can it be that literally the only place that Westerners would actually be willing to live, they're actually against, right? And the reality is, right, it's, it's all a game. It's the society of spectacle Twitter battle. I mean, it, it's like, I, I've joked, that it's like Cuba. I spent my 20s fighting about Cuba because I came, you know, my parents are Cuban, came from Miami, the whole thing. All these lefties, all these idiot delusional lefties used to have this vision of Cuba, brilliant healthcare, all this bullshit, while sitting in Northern California, of course, they, they never moved there or anything. And you just had to disabuse them of this notion. And eventually, either the truth came out or became less fashionable because of the Cold War or whatever. But like the kafia is the new Chad t-shirt, right? Like all these kids in NYU, like, yes, I mean, in some sense, they're evil, this and that. On the other hand, they're just stupid kids, right? Like the, I think the first one who got canceled for saying something was literally getting a job at some white shoe law firm where they'd sit there and defend Monsanto against, you know, lawsuits from like farmers in Ecuador or some shit, right? Like this person is literally on that track. And yet is sitting there and like raising their fist against revolution. It's dumb. It's stupid, right? It's just, it's just the showy narcissism of whatever. Like, but I, I do think, I think there's three reasons. One, you do have people from Arab, Muslim, et cetera, who do have an ethnic hatred of Jews and they tear on the poster for that. You've got like the person who's just like doing it because it's like the cool thing to do. And then I think the other, the oppressor oppressed thing that, that Dan mentioned is, is key, right? In a world in which the only moral valence, the only moral value you have, right, is, is being on the oppressed side of the oppressor oppressed spectrum, then gatekeeping that oppressed category is like the utmost moral concern. That is, that is the primary concern of society. Who gets to be in that bucket? And we have an entire diversity inclusion HR edifice that all it does is basically anoint someone as being in that bucket or not. And the problem with the Jewish thing, with the same thing with the problem with the Holocaust is like, but wait a second, how could you claim these are oppressors? I mean, here's this four-year-old, a fucking four-year-old, who's like kidnapped by a terrorist group and is being kept in a tunnel and God knows what conditions, literally a four-year-old ripped from like the dead mother's hands, right? How can you possibly look at that and say an oppressor? And they, they just, I mean, the cognitive dissonance gets to a point they can't handle it. They have to rip on the poster because there's nothing you can say about it. This as well, they had it coming. Like, no reasonable person would ever accept that, right? And so that that's, that's part of the whole poster thing, which by the way, I'm dying to see somebody do it in San Francisco. I almost want to like, put a poster and just bait it just to see it happen. So I can create a whole fucking scene and, and film it and live stream it. I've yet to even see it by the way, but I think the, oh, there's my three series yeah. in LA near me. The yeah. posters have been ripped down. Really? Like I, I saw them the other day. Wow. It's disgusting. <sighs> and it was like, it was like a, it was like one of the baby ones. What's the psychoanalysis of these people? Is it like uh, you mentioned narcissism? Is it like cluster B? Is there, is it like, I hate my father or like, what, what is sort of, cause the press are pressed. It, it, it's older than to that, you know, just sort of like 2000s wokeism, right? Like it goes back pretty, like, what is, is, is there a psychological sort of, uh, you know, a psychoanalysis here or it's just, it's just bad ideas. It's the organizing moral principle of the left. That's the left, right? The left is oppressor press and the right is civilization versus barbarism. Those, those are the, those are the relevant sort of dualities in my opinion. Yeah. But, but it, 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 it it's rooted in, you know, Marxist Leninism, like it, it is, it is communism. That is what it, it ultimately is. It's, it's, it's communism and it's the fashionable intelligentsia kind of comfort of the intellectual salon version of communism. 
not yes. the applied reality of communism where they line people up and shoot them and dump them in ditches. Which so, is what in the end? It's all sublimated, secularized Christianity. Where's my Tom yes. Holland? God damn it. It's back here somewhere. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think it's a way for young people to sound smart and morally righteous. Yes. You know, virtue signaling, of course. Yeah, yeah I guess. Right? It's about having sex. Like, it's just like, okay, cool. I can say this thing. I, I look really cool. And then, you know, someone else thinks that I'm cool. So therefore, like, you know, it's, it's, it's rooted yeah. in it. Like, how do, how do you, how do you peacock? You Did peacock you see the Ben Shapiro Oxford video? He just owns a bunch of Oxfords. It's really amazing. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's uh, I, I only watched a few seconds of it because I, these, these debates just get me so nervous and anxious. I just stop watching them. But the one scene where I forget the woman who was wearing a chador and the whole thing is like, oh, but the British didn't bomb civilians. He was trying to use a logic, which I would love to use on PG, by the way, because he's very English. He has an English father. He lives in England now. It's like, by this reasoning, I guess we should have stopped World War II circa 1942 and gotten a ceasefire with the Germans. Is that the logic here? Because by that logic, at that point, Germans were getting fucking wrecked. Right. And the number of German civilians killed in Dresden alone would, you know, would, you know, would dwarf many, many, all of this that's going on in Gaza. And of course, he wouldn't agree with that. Right. Um, but yeah, the, the, the person in the, in the debate said, oh, but the British weren't bombing civilians. And of course, everyone hooted because at that point, again, it's like looking at the face of the baby in the poster. It's just like the cognitive dissonance stretches like a rubber band too far and it just snaps. It's like you're being ridiculous. And somewhere in there, the other key thing, which I think is totally key, is why is it we're still in this debate? Everyone calls them refugees or refugee camp. You look at the pictures. It's not a refugee camp. It's just buildings. It, it looks, parts of Tel Aviv look like parts of Gaza City, by the way. Tel Aviv is pretty run down as well. Like it looks exactly the same. These aren't refugee camps. They're living in cities, right? And they've elected their own government that they've had for almost 20 years. They're not refugees. They're not living in camps. This is the two-state solution. They have their state and it's, this is what it's created, right? Um, but it's, a, it's this irredentist philosophy for those, irred, I, I get accused of using $10 words. Irredentist means that you sort of refuse to accept the state of affairs and claim that this piece of land that I lost is actually still mine. Right. And it creates this resentment and this constant sort of struggle against the reality of it. And the Palestinians, at the end of the day, have everyone talking about the 1967 borders, just to be blunt, is utterly and completely full of shit and has never been on the other side of the 1967 border. It is never going back to the 1967 borders. The settlements, again, it, it's, a, it's a similar, like, just complete fakeness in language. These aren't settlements. These are townhouses and cities. Ariel looks like Fremont, California. It's a bedroom community of, of Tel Aviv, basically. We're about, you know, Israel's about as likely to give that back to the Palestinians as Fremont is going to be given back to the Ohlone Indian tribe in Northern, in Northern California. It's not fucking happening, right? So anyone who's, who speaks in that language is, is basically engaging in like, a geopolitical circle jerk. It's just not happening, right? But that, but that's that's the thing. It has this irreality to it that feeds into the Palestinian resentment in which they still think this is our land. The, the underlying sentiment is that Israel shouldn't exist is really what it is, right? This whole from the river to the sea business, right? <laughs> For whatever, uh, what's her name? Rashida Talib says otherwise, really basically means, no, 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 no. We're going to get rid of the Israeli state and have this other reality there, right? And the problem is that that's exactly what has kept the Palestinians behind. Rather than moving on, right? Like our Mexicans, you know, are, are they, you know, clamoring for the, the pre-1848 or 1849 borders of the Mexican-American War? Are, are, I don't know, the Germans who lost Alsace-Lorraine clamoring for the pre-1918 you know, borders of, of Eastern France and Germany? Of course they are. They lost the war. They moved on. That's it. That's life, right? But no one's going to give that little real talk lecture to Palestinians in the West and said indulges their fantasies, their irredentist fantasies of getting back their state. And that exactly is the problem. Well, you know, you know who who was obsessed with the lost land, Hitler, right? Like, so it, it's like people who obsessed over land claims, or like generations later, like it, it's just like, guys, 
possession is nine tenths of the law, and, and especially with countries that have uh, sovereignty and ability to defend themselves from a military standpoint, right? And and remember, the borders are a result of Israel getting in wars that they were attacked by Arab countries trying to exterminate the country. And every time that happened, the borders got bigger, right? Like it. it, it, it so I, I I don't understand. What what is the version like? Is there a referee? Like, do people actually think the UN is a serious organization? Like, like I I, I just like the Security Council has five permanent members, right? U.S., U.K., France, Russia, and China. One veto stops anything. That's the UN. There is no UN. It doesn't matter. It, it it's it's a it's a fake organization. So in a world where that doesn't exist, the only referee is your ability to defend and and maintain those borders, okay? Unless the United States decides it wants to stick its finger in the in the in the area and it make a mess. That, basically that's it. There there is no other version of like who are you going to appeal to? And 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 what reality is the United States going to come in and say sorry Israel, you need to actually remove the settlements from the West Bank and go back to 1960. It's not going to happen. So so if you were running a startup like that, like you, your startup will go out of business because it's like you have to just confront reality of saying, is it an injustice? Fine. But but this is the reality that is not going back. So what is the best course of action that moves forward? And I can promise you it's not claiming that the land belongs to you and, and fostering deep resentment culturally, which results in something like Hamas. Because now, you know, this is going to be the 10x response that Israel is going to provide back. By the way, you, Dan, you did mention that the little tidbit three days ago, Iran was nominated head of the uh, UN Human Rights Council. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, come on, it, 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 it's the UN doesn't exist. Like, get that out of like, there is no global world order. It is the United States decides what how things work, and there are two countries that can kind of say, "I don't actually agree with you." Russia and China. It's the way it works. It's like. Your country, sorry, any any other listener, if you live in any other country, you have no say. Like, seriously, maybe India. Like, it's, it's big enough and it's kind of on its own. Everyone else, you, you follow what what those three countries decide. And usually it's it's you're in the sphere of influence of the U.S. There was a, there was like a joke tweet. It was it was so parodic. I don't know if it was a parody or real, but as someone who has one of these international law degrees or whatever, and it's like I don't understand what they're they're like violating international. Like, dude, there is there is no international law. <laughs> there there, but it's 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 a weirdly thing that comes out of the West. I think, and then the response joke tweet was like, "This is somebody who just got mugged and all their you know all their money got taken, and they're sitting there looking at the monopoly you know like rules of the game and saying, but but no no no, you're supposed to roll the dice or something.' And it's like <laughs> that's not how the world works. And so there's just like enormous level of sort of childish naivete that I think kind of you know gets its way into the into the rhetoric. I saw another map by the way. It's, I, I follow these accounts that have great fake maps. And one was like the international community. And it was literally like Western Europe, the US, Canada, and Japan. That's it. That's the international community. And nobody else in the globe, actually. There is no international community, as it turns out. Right. <laughs> it's it's that it's that nuclear sub, you know, cruising the med. That that's that's the international order. Well well that that's um that global south, global north map, right? It's like you basically somehow Israel, despite being like very much in this whole region, is the uh, the if you go Google Global North versus Global South Wikipedia, they have a map. And it's the US, Canada. Uh, Western Europe, Japan, Australia, New Zealand, uh, North Korea, or, uh, South Korea, and then it's like that's it. Everything else is red. 
And it's like, this is this is the way the world breaks. And, and in those cases, China and Russia are really not running a, a any version. Like, BRICS is fake, like, all that stuff. It's like, they're in their own self-interest. And that's it. Like, so, if, if the presidential administration, a democratic presidential administration, is willing to support Israel beyond just words and actually putting American, you know, two carrier groups in, in the Middle East, plus, you know, flashing nuclear subs, Sorry, you're 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 you don't you have no opportunity to to make progress here, especially in a world where you've rejected every single opportunity of actual an actual two state solution. Right. Like, go look up like Arafat with Clinton and just just like what it, 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 there there is never going to be a solution because one side actually doesn't want there to be a solution. It like kills their business model because at that point, then they actually have the hard hard reality of like, oh, I have to actually grow my economy, right? Rather than, you know, survive on international aid and 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 basically get wealthy, you know, Arab countries that have oil to give me money because it, it you know, feeds some level of some, you know, outdated pan-Arab nationalism. Man, like, come on. There's a great quote from uh, Abba Eban, who is a sort of legendary Israeli diplomat who said, Palestinians never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity, <laughs> right? Like literally the number of times they walked away from the table. Um, and, and speaking of this business of like they prefer war over the economy, there's this great interview from somebody from Hamas who, you know, just basically, said, oh, no, 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 the tunnels are for us, right? The population is the UN's responsibility, <laughs> right? <laughs> the tunnels are for us. It's not for civilians. And it's just, I mean, it, it's kind of a, a trite quote, but this business of in Gaza, the military uses the civilians as cover, and then in Israel, the military actually protects the civilians, is very much of a, a discrepancy in terms of how they view the world. Again, there, there's just polar opposites. I mean, Dan mentioned the, the sort of thought experiment of like who would press a nuclear button to destroy the other. Clearly, the Gazans would, Israel would not. I mean, it, it has one and it doesn't, so that's just empirically true. Um, but yeah, again, it, I think it's very, it's for the PGs of the world, and we're holding them up as like this foil or whatever, maybe a straw man, it's impossible to actually do that moral calculus. It literally is just like a body count calculus. And that's it. That's all that matters. Literally, it is the who drives a higher body count is obviously in the right sort of calculus. And... It, it's, it's like a perverted effective uh, altruism, like right, exactly. like pure utilitarian, like, right. you know, number of people dead like that. That's how I'm going to take this argument. Which, by the way, you can't believe those numbers because like there's plenty of evidence where they, they tend to be inflated. Are people dying? Yes. That that is. Are, is it tragic? Yes. But I mean, and and like I think we want to be super clear. Like I, I no, I don't think anyone's accusing PG of like being anti-Semitic. I think right. he's just being kind of like a, a midwit in terms of this issue. Like an otherwise smart person, and then he's he's kind of taking these whatever part, literally party line statistics, and then parroting them. And again, just to cite the hypocrisy of it. And again, I, I always cite this, but it's like people like PG, you know wouldn't be able to last a second inside Gaza or any sort of Islamist state. Like literally the man could not survive a day. And the only country in the Middle East is that he could survive in is, is Israel, which is precisely the one that he refuses to give even a shred of empathy or support. So I, I, I think Paul is morally in the wrong here, but maybe there's a version, not on a substance, but more in a vibe perspective that he's, he's right in kind of a scary way. And I'll explain by saying basically like, Paul is known for supporting and resonating with young people and for maybe being ahead of his time. And there was another tweet that came out that said that Israel-Palestine from sentiment perspective is where gay marriage was in 2000, which is basically right. 10 years away. And yeah. so if you look at, you know, where college students are right now, they're they're tremendously, you know, more more sympathetic to, to pro-Palestine. And what happens 15 years from now when they're running our, running our country, like, our, you know, what's what's U.S. support for, for, for Israel going to be then? 
So just to unpack that just for a second, you, you said a lot there, right? The, the analogy that's being drawn is if, if you were to look at, for example, the by, by cohort, meaning by age cohort, so like, you know, 20 to 30, 30 to 40, et cetera, on the way up, like, what is the support for this issue? Where this issue is, so take, take two examples, the two biggest political reversals probably of our lifetimes, which is one, support for gay marriage, which I know now is as natural as anything, and even the right supports it, but go back and listen to an Obama speech from 2008, Obama, and he did not support gay marriage, actually, when he first ran for president, right? This has been a very severe change. And, but again, you saw that change where by cohort, clearly, as you got younger, change was coming. The other thing is, is of course, drug legalization. I mean, recall people used to go to jail for pot ownership, and now in Washington, it's big business. But that was a huge change over the past 10, 20 years. What you're seeing is the same pattern for Israel, right? As you go younger, you see report, support for Israel go off. And so this, this bodes very poorly for Israel. It means going forward, potentially, a lot of the U.S. will not, will not actually be pro-Israel the way that it is now. Is there any hope there, or is it just young people are going to go where young people are going to go. Like, do they change their mind as they get older? Do we have, can anything be done to, is, is, is just fascinating. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm actually not that worried about Israel's future, to be honest. Like, I think if I was making a bet on like, which is likely to exist in its present form, Israel, the United States in a century, I say it could go 50, 50 actually. Um, but um, so, so you, you don't worried. think Israel needs Western support basically. I mean, it doesn't actually need us aid, right? I mean, there was a piece in tablet saying, the four billion is basically a sop to Raytheon, not to Israel. I mean, Israel has a GDP per capita higher than Germany's now. Like, it is not a poor country anymore, right? Like, it doesn't actually need this aid, and the Americans get as much out of it as, as the Israelis do. Um, so, I, I, I think I don't. I wouldn't worry about the the yeah. misguided young people. One, I think they age out. So there's some percentage of those people age out because it's you know it's fashionable. It's about like trying to have sex, and so it's like once they get older, it's like and then they have kids, and then when you have kids and you hold your you're 11 month old and then you think about someone taking a baby that's helpless like that and putting it in an oven that it just it's in, incomprehensible so it's like you 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 hopefully have something change when you start to have children um so i, I think that, that ages out about a bunch of people but the other version is is i think the israelis are are extremely sophisticated from a technology standpoint like they were the ones that pioneered drones i think that they are going to view their security, if anything, 10-7 will force them to to have a generation where they are that much more prepared and sophisticated on, on their, their border security. Um, and if if the US continues to support, and so that's that's the big question, I, I do think that they're they are going to eliminate Hamas like completely. Like they are they are doing a I've used the term I haven't seen anyone else use it, but it's like this boa constrictor. I don't know if you're following the maps, but Gaza is kind of this rectangle. It's actually kind of like Israel is a rectangle and then Gaza is like a mini rectangle in the, you know, the bottom, uh, the southwest. And they split Gaza in half and they have now reached the ocean. And so they have completely cut off the north. Uh, I think a bunch of people, there was like about roughly a million people on each half, uh, something on the order of what, I think it's like uh, 500,000 of the million have left. So it is actually a lot less populated than it is normally. Um, and they are slowly encircling and, and getting closer and closer to the center. And I think, Antonio, you might have shared it in the chat. It's just like the, the strategy is find a tunnel and blow it up, like or, or basically close it, the top, right? So just because these things are really far down and turn them into tombs. I, I, the, one, the one thing I'm a little unclear on is what, how, how confident are they that the hostages aren't down there? Which that seems, 
you know, still a huge mess. But maybe maybe Hamas is, is sophisticated enough to have moved the hostages to the southern part because they know that that's actually still their their really only bargaining chip that they have outside of just total elimination is is the hostages. Yeah, yeah. The strategy it's been fascinating to follow. I mean, there some some journalists are starting to embed. So Trey from Fox News is actually embedding and giving footage. Trey has been amazing. Actually, one of the few American networks to actually be kind of at the front lines, kind of in the same area. It's funny, I recognize some of the same places in the backdrop where he's running around. And then there's a guy named uh, Anshul uh, Pfeffer, Pfeffer from, normally writes for Haaretz, but I think he's he's writing for the Times, I think, of London, which is the piece that I shared. And what they're doing, yeah, it's a very slow creep in which they just slowly advance. Somebody take, comes out of a tunnel and tries to take a pot, pot shot at the tank. Maybe they hit, maybe they don't. Either way, that tunnel is then destroyed by by combat engineers and that's the end of it. And yeah, all this tunnel system, I guess if the strat, if the, if the thought is, well, they're just gonna come in quick and fast and leave, the tunnels are a good idea, but if they're gonna hang around, the tunnels seem like a fucking death trap, right? Because oh, there can only be so many openings. I mean, hundreds at most, and you just start and they need one fuel. after another. And, that's that. and they need fuel for the ventilation. And exactly. and so I think, I think it's very premature, but it seems like the Israelis, because for the first three weeks, I was kind of saying, like, this seems weird. It's like, why haven't they moved in? And maybe that was what they were hoping is some provoked, like, very aggressive response, kind of Fallujah-style urban combat, total mess. Um, but this kind of very slow, deliberate encirclement and, and you know, removal of these tunnels. I mean, we'll see. And, and then it seems like Israel's got uh, its work cut out for it also in Lebanon and then Syria and then Iran. Like, And, I mean, they, they put out... Um, uh, statement similar to what the U.S. has said, but I, I kind of trust that the Israelis are going to take care of it, is that they will respond to the Houthis who have been shooting these ballistic cruise missiles at Eliot, the 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 port on the like tip, uh, the southeast tip of Israel. It's like uh, Israel's only kind of like real port in the Red Sea. Um, they, they're able to shoot the missile down, but they said they will respond um, at a time and place of their choosing. So I, first, I wouldn't first be surprised if... Missile... I think first ballistic missile shootdown in history. I think, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and 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 by the way, the U.S. has now a, the carrier group, uh, the Dwight Eisenhower went through the Mediterranean and is now into the Red Sea. So there are two U.S. carrier groups, which is a pretty serious thing, um, which we hadn't had them in the Middle East, right? Like we were no longer, in theory, in Iraq, despite all these attacks that seem to be happening at these, whether they're contractors or, or kind of like special forces bases, but. Yeah, I, I, I think um, going back to the people in the U.S., I think the other two things are, one, um, there's a lot of wealthy, powerful Jewish people in the United States. Um, you know, Kanye got canceled for that. But the reality is, I, I think that they do have a lot of influence in terms of definitely in the Democratic Party, but also on the right. And, you know, what is it? APAC, uh, Antonio? What about it? AIPA. Yes. It's like yeah, the yeah, American yeah, yeah, yeah. APEC, yeah, the uh, American Israeli Political Action Right, Committee. so super yeah. influential in terms of. I mean, look, I, I think you're gonna you're gonna always have a group of people that are going to be pretty incentivized to say, hey, like this is a special relationship and and this is important to us. If anything, that was actually uh, enlightening from that Dennis Ross book that I was talking about before, is how important the the Jewish donors and, and voters, you know, in, in certain blocks started starting with Kennedy, but then later only grew in importance, right? Like Truman and Eisenhower are still kind of in this uh, pre pre kind of modern era of like wasp. They, the Jews are kind of like not as important from a kind of like a political force in the United States. And then from Kennedy on it, the, the, the president 
has a lot a like i mean nixon has kissinger like it, you're starting to actually now have um jewish people in, in pretty powerful positions not only in business but but uh within the government and so my, my sense is like if anything i think they should just ban tiktok like it, it seems like tiktok is, is just like propaganda that the chinese can just kind of it's like having one of the three stations during the cold war like run by pravda like it's just absolutely crazy that, that we have like a major adversary that would love to just be running information psyop uh on us and you know it's 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 allowed in the united states it's absolutely crazy but yeah i i'm not overly worried about the that position of the us but even then i think israel will be um self-sufficient the anti-tiktok position is interesting sam lesson has come out pretty strong against it and you're seeing it resonate in other places and they're kind of pinning the anti-israeli sentiment on tiktok which i don't know if i quite believe it i i don't know i I think banning TikTok is one of the few good ideas Trump had, frankly. So I'm not necessarily against the idea of banning TikTok. But it is interesting how I think that that thought has become a little bit more mainstream in the context of the Israel thing. And people are trying to puzzle out, how is it that you're seeing this level of support for what is a terrorist group? Um, but should we um, should we wrap on that? Yeah. Short and sweet. Um, yeah, that was a good one. Um, sweet. Well, uh, well until uh, until next time. And uh Glad that we have uh, you know powerful Jews in Web three ad infrastructure podcasting decentralized <laughs> yes decentralized We're social media the Jewish agenda. Hey, I'm not Jewish. I just I'm a fan. Okay, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. I don't know. Dan, Actually, Michael, someone at a dinner party said to me, "She's after after I was you know kind of I did a little stump speech for Israel." She's like, "Are you Jewish?" I'm like, "No." <laughs> hey everyone, Eric here. At Turpentine, we're building the first media outlet for tech people by tech people. We're the network behind the show you're listening to right now. We have a slate of hit shows across a range of topics and industries, from our AI and investing cluster of podcasts, to shows that drive the conversation in tech with the most interesting thinkers, founders, investors, and influencers, like Econ 102 with Noah Smith. We're launching new shows every week, and we're looking for industry-leading sponsors. If you think that might be you and your company, email me at erikaterpentine.co. That's E-R-I-K at turpentine.co, and let's partner together.